Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. We're studying the New Testament book of Titus, and we're learning that we are a people compelled by Jesus to live his calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, if you haven't already, I'd like you to take out your notes this morning, because even if you're not a note taker, I want you to do this first thing, because we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of me filling out the blank for you, in the very first line of the notes, I'm actually going to have you for you. And the very first line of the notes, I'm actually going to have you fill out the blank for me. And here's what I want you to do. Just the first one, but in the first line of your notes, I want you to write what the good life looks like to you. So for me, the good life is blank. You see that long blank there? I'm asking you not to write what you think you should write, but what what you really believe. Here's what I believe that the good life looks like. I'll give you about a minute to do that. Think about that. All right, so how many of yours included things like a beach, (laughs) retirement, family, friends, those kinds of things? Uh, The reason I want us to start thinking about this is because this morning we start a new series as a church family in the New Testament book of Titus, and one of the major themes we're going to see throughout this entire book is what it means to live the good life. Now, right away, I want you to know I'm doing a little bit of a play on words here. You see, on the one hand, to live the good life means I live a life that is full of good deeds or good works or good actions. I do good things. I live the good life. And indeed, the Greek word that Paul is going to use all throughout the letter of Titus is this word ergon. It's all over, and it's a word to describe anything a person does, does, to affect the world around them in a positive way. Any word, any deed, any action done for the sake of another. Because for Paul, the good life is not just professing that we believe something. It's actually acting upon what we believe. And so the good life is doing good things. Of course, on the other hand, I think this is where most of our minds went. Living the good life makes us think of living the best possible life, living a life that is full of joy and fun and purpose, and most of all, a life that is full of meaning. Now, here's what's cool and what we're going to discover together in the next seven weeks together as we study this book of Titus. Those two things right there are not intended to be mutually exclusive. In fact, they're completely related to one another. Here's what I mean. If you're following on your notes, in Titus, living a good life, a life of good deeds, good actions, will actually lead to the good life. Living a good life will lead to the good life. A life full of good deeds, good works, from the right motivation, of course, is really the key to living the life that we all want to live. The good life is a life that is not focused on oneself. It's a life that is focused on others. And I'm telling you, because Paul's telling you, that's where true joy and true meaning will ultimately come from. Now, I love the fact that we're going to be looking at this letter together because it's really the perfect jumping off point from our last series. If you were here, we did a series where we looked at the overall story of Scripture. And as those banners say, I love it because this letter is going to 
talk about how we are a people now compelled by Jesus to live out his calling. And if you were with us throughout that last series, we talked about that every single week, right? God's story is amazing because he invites us into his story to participate in his story. The Christian faith is not just about getting my ticket punched to go to heaven. It's about enjoying life here on earth with God, compelled to live out the calling that he's given me as his church, as his people. And so, like the people in that picture, here's what we're going to be looking at. Titus teaches us how to step out into our calling as God's people. Titus teaches us how to step out into our calling as God's people, or as we said for 13 weeks together, how we can make God's story our story in our everyday normal lives. I feel like I'm jumping ahead a little bit too much, so let's just backtrack a little bit. I've got two jobs this morning. First job is to introduce you to this letter of Titus, and I'm gonna, I've left some space there on your notes there. You can take whatever notes you want to do here. Our second job is to cover verses one through four. Now, you got to know something about me. Anytime we start a new series as a church, especially when we're studying one of the books of the Bible, which we love to do, it's like I'm a kid on Christmas morning. I love learning some of the background. I love studying these things. And so take whatever notes you want. But here's a little idea of what Titus is, how we got the letter of Titus. Uh, The book of Titus is what's called a pastoral epistle. There are three of those in the New Testament. There is 1 Timothy. There is 2 Timothy, and there is Titus. Titus is the shortest of those three books. Now, don't be intimidated. The word epistle simply means letter. It's just a letter that was written. And the reason that they're called pastoral epistles is because they were written by the Apostle Paul to some of his friends or co-workers who were leading churches that Paul had helped them plant. And so he's writing in this pastoral tone, encouraging these young men about how to lead a church. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to give them direction and give the church direction about what it means to be a people compelled by Jesus to live our calling. Now, the truth is we don't know a whole lot about Titus. We know a lot about Timothy, and we certainly know a whole lot about Paul. But here's what we do know about Titus, the little First of all, we know that Titus is described by Paul as one of his true sons in the common faith. Now, more likely what that is talking about is that Titus probably came to faith in Jesus Christ through Paul's very own ministry. We don't know where. We don't know how that happened. Titus was a a Greek, and and Paul was called to be the apostle to the Greeks. And so Titus comes to faith, and then like Paul loved to do, Paul kind of takes Titus under his wing. He brings him in. He begins to mentor him. He begins to share life with him. He begins to shepherd him. He begins to help him grow up and mature in the Lord. And amazingly, Titus, even though he's young, shows signs of leadership. He shows signs of maturity. And as he matures, Paul begins to send Titus out to do some of the most difficult things that a person could do, some of the most difficult church situations. For for example, he actually is the one who Paul sends to Corinth. Now, if you were here last fall or last spring when we studied the letter to the 1 Corinthians, you'll remember that the church at Corinth was a total disaster. Total mess, total fighting, total questioning Paul's leadership. And interestingly enough, it's Titus that Paul chooses to send to work out some of those issues. And we discover he's actually extremely successful. Titus was that kind of guy. Titus is like a stud. 
He had courage. He could walk into situations that were delicate and sensitive, and he had this amazing ability to navigate those situations with courage and confidence. He is sort of like the go-to guy for Paul. Some of you in this room are employers, or you have been at one time or another, and you know who these, these people are, right? You can think of some Tituses. If there's a difficult situation, if there's a, a situation that demands uh, sensitivity, courage, you go to this person because you know that they're going to come through on that job. And that's what Paul viewed Titus as. He was his go-to guy. And so time goes on, and another one of these difficult situations arises, this time in the churches that they had helped plant in Crete. Now, this is where Titus, the letter, is located. So I'm actually going to show you a little map of Crete there. It's that island south of Greece there. Now, how did churches come to get planted on Crete? It could only be by God's design because what happened is Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem. And he was on his way to trial to face Caesar to Rome. And all of a sudden, this huge storm hits as Paul is traveling. And this storm forces these Romans to camp down there at Fair Havens. And so they set camp. And then Paul and his friends realize this is an opportunity that God has given us. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by accident. And so Paul and his companions, including Titus, they begin to go and talk to people about Jesus. They begin to testify to the good news that the Savior of the world has come to redeem lost sinners. They begin to say, God's story wants to involve your story. And by God's grace, a number of churches are planted here on the island of Greek, Greece, of Crete. I think that's so awesome. Paul never wasted an opportunity with his life. He saw every moment as a chance. And eventually, Paul, of course, is forced to continue his journey to Rome. But we read that he actually leaves Titus here in Crete with these baby churches. So Titus goes about the work of helping begin these churches to mature. And then while he's in prison, most likely around 64 AD, just a couple years before his death, Paul gets word that Titus is struggling with these churches in Crete. There's some issues going on. There's some struggles going on. And so Paul, as he does, he writes a letter. And he writes this personal letter to Titus. And that's what we have here. How awesome is that? Some 2,000 years later, we have these words from a mentor written to his young co-worker, to a young pastor, about how to be a pastor in a church and what it means for a church to be a church. And make no mistake, while this letter is specifically written to Titus, it would have been read to the whole congregation. People would have gathered together. They would have wanted to hear, what does the apostle say to us about what it means to be a people compelled by Jesus to do his calling? In fact, it would have been read out loud to the entire church. And if you're a life group, that's what you're going to do together this week. You're going to read through the whole letter. So that's the background leading up to where we get this letter of Titus. Now we're going to spend some time actually taking a digger deeper, deep. What is Titus all about? What does it have to tell us? And to help us with that, I want to show you this video here. Take a look at this. I hope you found that helpful. And honestly, if that's something that you find helpful and you're studying another book in the Bible, those are all available through Right Now Media, which we make available to you through uh, our church website. You can get it for free. Uh, But I find those things helpful to know where we're headed the next seven weeks. Now, what we have to do secondly is take some time and kind of look at the first four verses together of Titus. So if you haven't grabbed your Bible already, I encourage you to do that. We're looking at page 965 of those black Bibles there. 
I'm going to ask you to read the first verse out loud together on your notes. This is kind of from a different translation, and then we'll go through all the way through verse 4. So would you read verse 1 out loud with me there? It says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. Verse 2 goes on. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, in these four little verses, I'd like to suggest to you, we're already given a glimpse of what it looks like to live the good life. And there's three things to it. Number one, if you're following on your notes, for Paul, the good life is knowing my identity. The good life is knowing my identity. Notice immediately how Paul describes himself here in verse one. If you're following again, Paul knows himself as a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the word slave that he uses there, it's an interesting one. More literally, it's actually someone who is a bondservant. And a bondservant is a slave who would set free by their master, but then out of loyalty and out of love, they choose to continue to remain in service to them. That's a fascinating idea because you have to understand how radical of an idea that is in Greek culture. For a Greek person, people who lived in Greek to be a slave would have been the ultimate worst thing in life. In fact, if a Roman soldier would have been captured, it would have been better for them to have committed suicide than to have a life full of servitude. And yet here we read, Paul sees no greater honor in the world than bearing the identity of a bondservant of God. Paul finds no greater joy in service to the Almighty. He had been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and out of gratitude he continues to remain in service to Jesus Christ. He couples this idea with the term apostle, which means one who is sent. The word apostle is actually used in two ways in the New Testament. It's used first to describe pioneer church planners. Barnabas, for example, is described as an apostle in Acts 14, 14. But of course, we think of it more in the more prominent way it's used when it's used to refer to the people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus and whose testimony about their eyewitness forms the foundation of what we believe as the church still today. These are the 12 apostles, right? People like Peter, people like John, and Paul is added to their number at some point. Paul didn't know Jesus, though. He didn't know Jesus while Jesus was on earth, but you can read in Acts chapter 9 that Paul has this powerful encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road, and it's there he receives this special calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and who are the Gentiles? It's anybody who's not Jewish. Why? Because the good news is for all people. This is amazing when we know Paul's story. Because Paul once saw his identity as doing everything in his power to stop the spreading of the gospel. His identity, in fact, was as an enemy of God, and he would go to any means necessary to stop the message, including killing God's people. He was not a bondservant. He was not an apostle He was an enemy of Jesus Christ. But the grace of God invaded his life. And it gave him a new identity, which is exactly what the grace of God does for all of us who know Jesus. Amen? 
Paul goes on to tell us a little bit about our identity in God's grace. If you're following, he says, in Christ, we are chosen by God. We are chosen by God. That's our new identity. This language links us with God's chosen people, Israel. And the idea behind this is mind-blowing. It says, if you know Jesus, that means you have been chosen by Jesus. And if you have been chosen by Jesus, then if you're following still there, you are given a new identity in Jesus. My favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it describes this very thing. It says these words, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. When I was in junior high, I decided I was going to try out for our junior high basketball team. Now, you may look at me now and go, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm telling you, I was five foot one. I wore glasses. I was incredibly insecure as a kid. And so I show up, and there's about 30 kids trying out for our junior high basketball team. And I realize very quickly I'm not even close to being one of the best basketball players out there. And so we go through the whole week of tryouts, and at the end of the week, coach lines us up on the baseline, and he's got to choose 10 of these players to be on his team, and I'm just hoping, like, maybe I'm number 10. And so he lines us up, and he starts naming the names, and the very first name he called was my name. And it wasn't because I was the best player by far. It wasn't because I was the best player. He did that to instill some confidence in me, some belief in me, and it really changed the trajectory of that whole year of school for me. Friends, has that happened in your life? Do you realize that God has lined you up on the baseline if you're a follower of Jesus and he says, I choose you. I want you on my team. I want you in my family. To be chosen by God means you are his forever and nothing can change that. Your faith has guaranteed your standing in Christ. Other places in the New Testament, I think especially of Ephesians, talk about all this means. It means now you are his son or his daughter. You are adopted into his family. You're told that you're a co-heir with Jesus who will inherit all he does. It says you're a kingdom of priests, a holy people. You've been redeemed. You are loved you are his. You've been chosen. That is our identity in Christ. And that identity is all given to us by God's grace. And so if you're here this morning, and I know some of you are, and you're saying, no, my sin is way too great for God to be able to forgive me, we would say to you, his grace is greater. His grace was good enough for Paul, wasn't it? For the person who despairs this morning, who says to yourself these lies, like, I'm not able to measure up to God's requirements of me. We say, you're right, but Christ did. Christ did for you in his grace. For the timid person here, for the fearful person here who says, I won't fit in. We say, the gospel says, I choose you. I choose you. What's your identity? What do you walk around with every day, right? How do you see yourself? Are you allowing the lies of the enemy to define you and keep you from living the life God intends you to live? What would it look like for you? What would it look like for you this week to step confidently in the truth that you have been chosen by God? That's the key to the good life. Once we understand our identity, we move to the second key, which is the good life is living out our calling or purpose. 
living out our calling or purpose. In verse 1, Paul lays out his entire purpose, his entire meaning for existence. He was called, he says, to be the means by which God's chosen people would come to faith in Jesus, grow in their knowledge of Jesus, and then live a life worthy of Jesus. I think that'd be a great exercise for us, by the way. Can you write your purpose in one sentence like Paul does there? Paul wants to help people know Jesus Christ, grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, so much so that it actually changes the way we live. Not just head knowledge, but knowledge that leads to change. If you're following, Paul was called to lead and mature people in their faith, and he knew it. All throughout this letter, we're going to see one of the themes is, while knowledge is certainly important, knowledge is never the end goal of our faith. What Paul is shooting for is more than that. What God is shooting for is more than that, right? As that video showed, for Paul, we're going to make an impact in this world, not by what we believe, but how that belief actually changes the way we live our lives. Paul says we're not going to assimilate to culture. He says we're not going to completely disengage from culture. What we're going to do is we're going to see ourselves compelled to live in culture as God's people in very distinct ways. And so that leads us to our purpose or to our calling. I could say two things about this. First thing I could say is every single one of us in this room has been given a specific calling by God based on the gifts, the passions, the personality, and the life experiences God has given to you. Paul understood his calling. One of the reasons we've offered a class called Network that Pastor Lee teaches for 25 years now is to help people step into their individual specific callings. If you haven't taken it, you can see in the bulletin all the times that we're offering it. But broader than that, more generally than that, as his church, we've been given a calling. And his calling, if you're following on your notes there, is we're all called to live a life of godliness. Now, I don't know what you immediately think of when you hear of godliness, but my bet is your immediate thought is I'm thinking about all the things I'm not supposed to do. A life of godliness is a life that avoids these kinds of things. It's a life of following the rules. And certainly when you read through Titus, you'll see Paul certainly views the life of godliness of things like avoiding sexual immorality. Avoiding lying, avoiding laziness and divisiveness, avoiding drunkenness. But do you really think that that's what God dreamed of when he called the people to be his own? A bunch of people who avoided bad things? I mean, yes, that's part of our calling. I'm not going to discount that. But I think God has something grander in mind when he called us as his people, right? I think sometimes we reduce following Jesus to a set of rules. But if you're following still on your notes there, Paul sees our calling as a spirit-empowered life that transforms the way we live and reveals God's glory to the world around us. That's our calling. To transform the way we live so that we can reveal God's glory to the world around us. As a staff, last year we read a book and the author talked about how Christians are called to live questionable lives. I love that idea. We live lives so that people in our life, people at our work, people in our neighborhoods, people in our gyms, question why we're living that way. Why are you different? Yes, why don't you do those things? But more importantly, why are you doing those things? Why are you giving your life to that? Why are you giving your time to that? Why are you giving your money to that? Why are you gathering together in community with other people? Why are you sharing life in a real meaningful way? That is our calling, friends. Luke talked about this a couple weeks ago in the context of vocation. It's just another word for calling. 
Like the people in that banner, our calling is to see our everyday, ordinary lives. I love that, right? They're just going to work. We see that as the context for where God wants to do his work in this world. We see that as the opportunity where God will begin to plant seeds. And that is how the kingdom of God grows. That's our calling. If you're following, our calling is to do all of life on mission with Jesus. To do your home life, your neighborhood life, your work life, your school life, your gym life on mission with Jesus. To see your whole life, every moment of it, as an opportunity. An opportunity for you to do good. As we do that, our way of living changes. Our motivations change. We don't excuse sin anymore. Yes, we seek holiness But it's not just a life of avoiding the wrong things. It's a life that is always about seeking the greater glory of our Savior. Godliness is a life of faith and action. Amen? What would it look like if you step into that this week? What would it look like if you saw every day as an opportunity to make the grace of God more attractive to those around you? It will be less about what you say, I promise you. It'll be less about what you say, and it'll be a lot more about how you live and what you do. The last key to living the good life, according to Paul, is that the good life is life together with others in relationship. The good life is life together with others in relationship. And I get that from verse 4, which says to Titus, hear his heart, friends, my true son in our common faith. Paul is known for his extensive missionary travels, his powerful preaching and teaching, his courageous witness for the sake of Christ. Undoubtedly, I think when most of us think of Paul, we think of a hardline champion for the truth, someone who will not compromise in the face of pressure. And while those things certainly describe Paul, we also must remember Paul was a loving, compassionate man. He genuinely cared for people. He built deep, meaningful relationships in his life wherever he traveled. And this is because he understood that the good life is a life that is done together with others. The pastoral epistles, one of which we're looking at here, testify to this, right? He refers to Timothy and Titus as his what? Son. My sons in the faith, and he treated them that way. He mentored them. He encouraged them. He strengthened them. He loved them. He counseled them in their personal lives and in their ministry lives. He knew that the good life, the good life, is done in meaningful relationship with others. What about you? Does that describe you? Are you cultivating deep, meaningful relationships with others? Do you have a true son or daughter in the faith? I have two gentlemen in this church who I look up to, father figures, and we meet regularly. They're investing in my life. And it's made a huge difference for me. What an encouragement. What a strengthening. Now that took both of us. It took me seeking them out. It took them being willing. And I want to say the same to you. This doesn't just happen. You got to be intentional. You got to look for that young person and say, I'm going to just see if they want to grab coffee. And then you start investing. Or I'm going to look for that older person who I want to model my life after. And you say, I want to get together with them. I want to hear what life is like for them. I really believe, I'm going to get too off track here, but I really believe this right here is one of the primary ways that we can reveal God's glory to the world around us today. I think Jesus said something like this, right? They will know we are his followers because of our love 
for one another. When you walk out those doors, is it not true that the people you encounter are starving for genuine, true, loving, authentic relationships? People are starving for that. And we can model that. We can show them what it looks like. Is dealing with people sometimes difficult? People are people. Sometimes it's hard to love certain people, but from the beginning, as we learned in our last series, right, we were created for that. Created to do meaningful life together with others. Who are you doing that with? That's why we push life groups over and over and over and over again here. You gotta be doing life with others if you wanna live the good life. Now, I'll close with this thought. There's a movie, I bet you a lot of you in this room pop in sometime around December 25th every single year. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. And it stars James Stewart as George Bailey, a man who in his youth dreamed of traveling the world, but along the way, he's made sacrifices for other people. And it meant that he never got to even leave his small town. And the movie picks up where he's a weary, broken man through no fault of his own. He's going to be declared bankrupt. And so we see him standing on his town's bridge, about to jump off and commit suicide. But then his guardian angel intervenes. The angel gives him a vision of what life would have been like if he was never alive. And he sees, my life counts. My life has made a difference. I have actually truly lived the good life. A wonderful life. A life that has touched many people, listen, in small but significant ways. And I just want to say, in many ways, this is what Titus is all about. This is what this letter is all about. He wants to give you and me a vision of a life that touches people in small but decisive ways. A life that can have eternal consequences. A life that as we step into our identity, as we step into our calling, and as we do that in relationship with others, if you're following a life where we can impact people in small but significant ways. That's the good life. That's a wonderful life. And so as we close, I'll end with this question. Am I living out my identity and calling together with others? If you are, then you're experiencing the good life. If you're not, what would it look like for you to join us in this incredible adventure? Let's pray. Lord, I want to just confess to you right away, and I'll bet you I'm not the only one here, who when I think about the good life, that's not what I think. I think about a version that this world is trying to sell me. I think of a version that focuses on myself more than others. A a version that focuses more on accumulating than giving. a version that focuses more on security than risk and adventure. But you're inviting us into something more. You're compelling us to be more. And we can't wait to discover more about that as we dive deep into this letter to Titus. But this morning, we just wanna start by saying, help us to find our identity in you. Help us to live a calling that is meaningful and help us to find others that we can share that with. Because according to your word, 
that is the good life. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.